Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News and recorded here at Colin Chance House, Worcester, on Thursday the 16th of March. I'm Moira, the editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Penny, Annabelle and Richard, our sound engineer Alex and admin Carol. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. And please remember the obituaries now come at the end of the closing music. Recordings are available on podcast, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but on CDs and tape. Do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, which is Worcester 767766, or add a note to your wallet. We also ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on our number and leave a message. So as promised, some useful telephone numbers for you. The out-of-hours medical help, which is 6pm till 8pm, is 0300-1233211. The NHS non-emergency line is 111. Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, is Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatre is 01684 892277. Worcester Hub is Worcester 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-111 and Samaritans is 116-123 which is a free phone number. Okay, so I'd like to ask Penny now to talk about birthdays for this week. Well, the birthdays for this week, uh, on the 22nd of March, it's Mandy Atkinson. On the 25th, it's Dennis Walker. And on the 23rd of March, it's John Plush. And we would like to wish you all a very happy birthday and a wonderful year ahead. Thank you very much. And now I'm going to ask Annabelle to read the thought for the week, please. This thought is from John 10, 27 to 30. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand, and I and my father are one. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you very much. And now we'll start on the headline. So, Penny, you would like to do the first headline, please? Yes, the headline for Friday, March the 10th, is Sewage Stream. And there is a picture of a very attractive-looking stream. And the caption... Uh, and with a gentleman there called John Renshaw, who is the parish councillor, and he has expressed concern over the amount of sewage that was dumped in Duckbrook in 2021. 
66 different cases of dumping at Citybrook in a single year. Sewage yards from homes. Sewage has been dumped a few yards from homes of local residents multiple times in Worcester. The dumping happened in a brook which runs through a Worcester park, past a play area and near a primary school. Councillor John Renshaw called for a stop to the practice after 66 different dumping cases were recorded at Duck Brook in St Peter's in a single year. Councillor Renshaw, St Peter's Parish Councillor, said the data recorded in 2021 was shocking. He said, this will come as a shock to many residents in St Peter's. There's been a lot in the media about sewage dumping in the River Severn, but few of us imagined that this would be happening in a park in St Peter's, just a matter of a few yards or so from the homes of local residents. It's absolutely vital to the health and well-being of local residents that this practice stops as soon as possible. The data has come from Top of the Poops, a website which analyses sewage pollution data from the Environment Agency. It shows the recording was only working for 47.32% of the year, with Councillor Renshaw saying it could mean that real figures are far higher. Duck Brook meanders along the southern boundary of Battenhall Park, passing a play area at the bottom of Springfield Road, before flowing past Cherry Orchard Primary School and under the A38 Bath Road towards the River Severn. The data, the latest available, shows there were 88 different, different sewage dumping reports along the River Severn in 2021. Robin Walker... MP for Worcester, said everyone wants to improve this and put an end to sewage dumping but if it is done too quickly it can lead to homes being flooded. A number of MPs and myself have written to Ofwat this week requesting for sewage companies to be banned from paying dividends. An Environment Agency spokesperson said it had increased its storm overflow monitors 14-fold since 2016 to better hold water companies to account for illegal sewage spills. They added, We have also received new government funding to undertake thousands of farm inspections in order to tackle agricultural pollution. The agency is also looking at how to help recover stocks of salmon in the Severn. Severn Trent emphasises that storm overflows are only used when absolutely necessary and help protect customer homes from storm flooding. A spokesperson said, based on, late, based on latest Environment Agency water quality measures, 84% of the reasons for Worcestershire's Rivers not achieving good ecological status are attributable to other sectors, with 16% within the control of Seven Trent. We're recognised for our industry-leading performance, consistently receiving the highest four-star rating by the Environment Agency. This next piece is titled Crackdown, Extra Security in City Centre. Extra security guards have been hired to patrol the city centre as a part of a crackdown on antisocial behaviour after worried businesses raised concerns about intimidating gangs of youths causing nuisance. 
The security measures were introduced by Worcester BID to reassure the public following reports of large gangs of youths intimidating the public and threatening other youths. While the trouble has been caused throughout the city centre, Worcester BID said much of the problems were taking place in well-known crime and antisocial behaviour hotspots, such as McDonald's, the Cross Fourgate Street, St Martin's Quarter and Crowngate Shopping Centre. Worcester BID, which funded the extra security, said it had made it had been made aware from its affiliated shops and businesses of large groups from Worcester as well as the surrounding towns such as Pershaw, Jointwich, Evesham and Malvern intimidating the public and making threats to other young people as well as causing significant nuisance and disorder across the city centre. BID Chief Executive Sam McCarthy said, We acted following concerns from our members by funding six security operatives over the half-term period only to support with public engagement and increased football due to Light Night Festival. The results from working together as a partnership has seen numbers in antisocial behaviour numbers reduced successfully. The added security was brought in for the half-term break and at the end of February to coincide with the city centre hosting the annual Light Night Festival. Making sure the city remains safe for residents and visitors is a key part of the purple flag status, which the city has, was granted last year, which means Worcester is among the country's safest and most vibrant nighttime locations. Purple flag accreditation is similar to the green flag award for parks and blue flag for benches and is awarded to towns and city centres that meet or surpass the standards of excellence in managing the evening and nighttime economy. Worcester BID works alongside several other partners to try and curb antisocial behaviour in the city centre. Inspector Tanya Beckett from West Mercia Police said, Our officers and staff in Worcester have worked closely alongside our partners at Worcester BID, Worcester City Council and Crowngate Shopping Centre, to support the agreed strategy developed to reduce antisocial behaviour in the Worcester City Centre. This also provided extra visibility and reassurance to the public during the expected higher footfall in the city during the night night event. To Tuesday, March the 14th, the shows the headline, Mum's Horror After Knife Attack on Son. Referring to page three, that knife attack leaves teen boy petrified. A teenage boy was left injured and petrified after he was attacked and chased by masked youths armed with an axe and knives. <coughs> Tyler, whose surname we have agreed not to publish, was punched in the face in Cripplegate Park on St. in St John's, Worcester, on Friday. He and friends, two females and a male, say they were ambushed by a gang of ten youths wearing balaclavas during the incident at around 8pm. The 17-year-old ultimately ran into New Road after he says he saw weapons produced by two members of the gang. The boy's family feel his life was saved when a mum who wished to be known only as Lucy, stopped in New Road in Worcester after the boy ran into traffic, trying to escape his pursuers. She called the police, who later made an arrest in the park. The boy's mum told the Worcester News he was walking through the park when the group asked Tyler to follow them down an alleyway into a more, a more secluded part of the park. His mum said, Tyler didn't go. He walked another way. There was a bit of an argument and one lad punched Tyler and Tyler punched him back. Two of them pulled out knives and axes, so Tyler legged it. 
That's when we ended up running in the road and he nearly ended up getting run over. He's absolutely petrified. Anyone would be. He hasn't really gone out since. The youth from Droitwich, who is described by his mum as not a fighter, later had to attend A&E at Worcester Royal Hospital in Worcester because of the injury to his face. Tyler has refused to give a statement to West Mercia Police. Tyler's mum said, I dread to think what would happen if Lucy had not been there at that time. If she had not finished work early and was not in the right place at the right time. Lucy said she had been driving over Worcester Bridge when news ran out into New Road near Worcestershire County Cricket Club. This is Worcester, not the Bronx, she said, describing her shock, upon being told that some of the youths giving chase were armed. She said, I was driving down and some kids were running out in the road. I beeped the horn and slowed down and wound the window down and shouted at the boys to not run in the road. The one boy was visibly upset and begged to get in my car as he said the other boy had a knife and was chasing him. I stayed with him until his friends arrived. A lad with a ski mask was on the other side of the road trying to see where the lad had gone. I have a big car, so he couldn't see him. His friends arrived and said, Did you know that was going to happen? I was told two of them had knives and one had a mini axe. I called the police and apparently the lads have been arrested. She said she understood some of those involved were 15 years old and that the boy who ran into New Road was visibly shaken up and feared he was going to be stabbed. I was a bit shaken up, but I could not leave him, she said. She was told there had been a fight in Cripplegate Park. The mum said the mother and grandmother of the boy who had asked to get in her car had since been in touch. They contacted me saying thank you for saving his life, saying I am a hero. His mum says he's terrified. Her original post on Facebook was shared 130 times. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, We were called to New Street in Worcester shortly after 8pm on Friday, following a report of a group of youths with weapons. Officers attended and located a group of youths in Cripplegate Park. However, no weapons were found. A 17-year-old was arrested on suspicion of assaulting a police officer and has since been released on bail. OK, my headline um, is Dirty Shabby Mess. Prominent city hotel looks like a Soviet-era block. And there's a picture of the Premier Inn um, showing the discoloration on the walls. This is the, the, the newish Premier Inn in um, New Road. Major city hotel in a key historic location has become a dirty and shabby eyesore which looks like a Soviet-era block, says critics. The Premier Inn in New Road, Worcester, forms part of the gateway to Worcester City near the iconic Worcestershire County Cricket Club and close to the city's medieval cathedral. However, 
Recent photos of the hotel show it looking less than its best with dirty marks all over the formerly pristine white walls of the building and graffiti near the entrance. One city architect and historic building consultant, who did not wish to be named, said, The building itself is appalling. It's grim. It looks like a Soviet block, half finished. It's not being maintained. You have dirty marks where all the fans are expelling the air. It's awful. It's now looking so shabby. They have got to do something. It's a gateway to the city. It's an iconic location right by the road bridge overlooking the river and the cathedral. It's shameful. They need to get their paintbrushes out to start with. Paul Harding of Discover History said, Working in heritage and delivering popular walking tours all year round means I see even subtle changes to our historical environment. These might include a new crack in the medieval city wall, daub and plaster damage to a timber-framed house, or even graffiti added to a Victorian boundary wall. Fortunately, these examples are rare. One thing we notice more is that modern buildings just don't weather very well. The Premier Inn located next to the cricket ground is a perfect example. Modern buildings look tired after only a few years, despite them requiring less maintenance than something over a hundred years old. It's such a shame to see buildings looking unkempt, and it shows Worcester in a bad light. I would be interested to see a Premier Inn or concrete multi-storey car park in 800 years' time. Old structures seem to fare much better than recent ones. The hotel is owned by Whitbread, which describes itself as the UK's biggest hotel brand and with a growing presence in Germany, offering quality accommodation at affordable prices. A spokesman for Whitbread said, Thanks for bringing this to our attention. We understand the hotel is in a key part of Worcester and will add it to our maintenance schedule to review the cosmetic issues. The headline for Thursday, for today... March the 16th, M5 death leads to tailbacks. Person dies after serious incident closes motorway. Jam after M5 death crash. A person died on the M5 in Worcester following a serious incident which closed the motorway for several hours yesterday. Drivers were stuck in 90-minute queues due to the incident and roads in Worcester near the motorway near the motorway entrances were also affected by long delays. Traffic queues built up on Whittington Road and the A440 Crookbarrow Way due to traffic diverting off M5 northbound at Junction 7 due to the closure at Junction 6. Bus services were also affected by the M5 traffic and congestion affected several areas, including Witchbold, Copcut Elm and Rashwood. Revellers at the Cheltenham Festival were also told to expect delays on their return journey to Worcester. Ambulances were called to the M5 Junction 6, six ways, and found a person in a critical condition who later died. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesperson said it became immediately clear that nothing could be done after it was called to the scene. Paramedics arrived at the scene at about 9.40am. A spokesperson from West Midlands Ambulance Services said, We were called to reports of concern for a patient's welfare at Junction 6 of the M5 near Worcester at 9.39am.
Two ambulances and a paramedic officer were sent to the scene. On arrival, we discovered one patient in a critical condition. Unfortunately, it immediately became clear that nothing could be done to save the patient and they were confirmed deceased at the scene. About 11.30am, a motorbike fire on the M5 added to the ongoing traffic issues near Worcester. Fire crews found a burnt-out motorbike on the motorway between junctions 7 and 6 of the M5 heading northbound. The rider was confirmed to be safe. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, We were called out at 11.26am today, Wednesday, to a small vehicle on fire on the M5 northbound between junctions 7 and 6. There was a high volume of traffic with all lanes blocked after an earlier incident on the motorway. Two crews from Worcester Fire Station attended to find a burnt-out motorbike in lane 3. The rider has been reported as safe. The crews are still at the scene, damping down with one hose-reel jet, while the highways agency in attendance is in attendance to recover the vehicle and do resurfacing work. OK, that's all the headlines we have for you this week. Thank you very much. And now, some sport for you. First of all, something slightly different. Headline, under-18s into cup semis. Underneath a picture of the team. The Worcester Rugby Football Club under-18 girls celebrated reaching the National Cup semi-finals after a thrilling comeback win over Old Albanians on under-18s on Sunday. It was a fast-paced start from both sides, but Worcester got themselves on the board first when Els Watkins scored her team's first try of the afternoon. But the visitors were not behind for, uh, for long as they responded with one of their own to pull level almost immediately. It was proper end-to-end rugby with both teams making some ferocious tackles and the competition at the breakdown was immense. Sarah Parry scored the next try, but that was quickly followed by two more tries and a conversion by Old Albanians as the away side took a lead into the interval. After a half-time team talk by co-captains half-time Ellie Lane and Heidi Pullen, Worcester came out firing on all cylinders. They continued to play fantastically as a team and they would get their rewards. Their discipline was excellent and scrummaging and tackling was working well, leading to three Worcester tries without response. Sarah Parry went over for her second before England under-18 centre Natalie Evans scored a further two. Old Albanians were still giving it their all, though, and caused some tense moments for Worcester's coaches and spectators as they continued to put pressure on Worcester and edge towards their try line. However, with an audible sigh of relief from the Worcester sidelines, the whistle blew for full time and Worcester girls under 18s were victorious. A final hard-fought result of 25-17 and Worcester had now moved forward to the semi-finals on April the 2nd. 
Okay, so we're on to the stories from this week now for you, and I shall make a start. Um, Fed up residents have renewed calls for security fences to keep out wheelchair joyriders and randy couples. Tenants at flats at Cranham Court in Warnden, Worcester, say they have yet to hear whether they will get metal security fencing and gates as they continue to be plagued by loutish behaviour. It is now over six months since concerns were first raised with landlords' platform housing. Meanwhile, Warnden City Councillor Jill Desiree continues to press for action on behalf of Cranham Court residents so they have the same protections afforded to residents in other parts of the estate. At the last update in December, Platform said the request for security measures was still under review. There are around 30 flats in Cranham Court in Cranham Drive, divided into four blocks. Complaints raised by residents to Councillor Desire include litter in the car park and communal garden, including fish and chip wrappers and McDonald's rubbish, the wooden fence being kicked repeatedly, people jumping off flat stairwells, a communal gate to the flats being damaged, youths joyriding in a stolen fold-up wheelchair last October, and a couple having noisy sex in the communal garden last summer. Residents Pam and Graham Key have suffered more antisocial behaviour, including youngsters climbing on the roof of their shed in their back garden. Mr Key, 72, said a group of five 11 or 12-year-olds were climbing on their garden shed about three weeks ago. They could hurt themselves, said Mr Key. Mrs Key, 59, said, I said, excuse me, this is someone's garden. Residents hoped the sex in the communal garden last year was a one-off, but with the lighter nights and warmer weather coming, it's in the back of our minds, he said. Mr Key added, we would feel much safer if we had a secure perimeter. Lynn Gleeson, 55, another resident, said, We're not against people having sex in the privacy of their own homes. Some work has been done by platform to improve security. An old fence has been smashed down by vandals but has been replaced with a new sturdier wooden one. But residents say they want something sturdier, like concrete. The councillor said she had first raised the issue of security fencing with platform in June and then at least three times since. There is metal fencing near the entrance to the flats in Cranham Drive and she does not see why this cannot be extended to enclose the complex with a key fob system for residents. There's never any response at all. We've had dialogue with different people and I have now raised it with the platform director. He says he's going to look into it, she said. She added, I would appreciate it if Platform came and investigate the possibility of security fencing to improve the lives of these residents. They deserve to feel secure in their own homes. Platform housing was unavailable for comment. The next story uh, was featured in Friday, the March the 10th issue, and features a photograph of two police cars parked on Offerton Lane. Unexploded bomb found. A shocked magnet fisher has spoken of the moment he pulled an unexploded bomb from a canal near Worcester. Stuart Jones, the founder of Redditch-based Kingfisher Magneteers Group, said there was a moment of panic when a member pulled at the unexploded ordnance from the canal on Offerton Lane in Hindlip. 
However, he kept a cool head and called the police, who set up a 200-metre cordon and road closure so the explosive ordnance disposal specialists could safely explode the device. Specialists made the device safe before the road was reopened several hours later. Mr Jones said it was the first time his group had ever found an explosive device and Sunday's ordeal was very unexpected. He said we were all stationed about 10 metres from each other along the canal when our group member Claire Murray called us over to say she has found something she at first thought was a toy. I quickly realised that it could in fact be an explosive so I tried to keep a level head and follow the safety precautions. A lot of the team around me were panicking, but we were able to put the explosive back into the water in a bucket and we immediately called the police. I was actually filming at the time and managed to capture roughly nine seconds of audio where you can hear the explosion. Mr Jones was asked to send in a picture of the explosive device and within five minutes the police arrived. He said... Police immediately established a cordon and we packed up our gear and moved within a safe distance. Mr Jones said despite the discovery, the group does not go out with the intention of finding explosives. He said, I think it is a common misconception that we were always looking for these kinds of things. Some magnet fishers are definitely more interested in the treasure hunting aspect, but we see it as more of an environmental practice getting harmful items out of the water. In the past, we have found a pump-action shotgun, a gun barrel dating back to 1852, and even a small cannonball. For more about Kingfisher Magneteers, you can visit their YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at Kingfisher Magneteers 2022 or on TikTok by searching at Kingfisher Magneteers. This next story is from Tuesday the 14th of March and is titled Collapsed Wall Enclosed. A collapsed wall is now enclosed by a metal fence after it fell down last week, damaging three cars. The chain link fence surrounds the collapsed wall in Lavender Road, Barbourne, Worcester, near Gullivar Park, which fell down on Friday, closing the footpath. A resident said, I was there on Friday, shortly after the wall collapsed. It was good to see everyone helping stack up the bricks. Highway officials were very quickly on the scene. The fence adds a bit of peace and mind as there was a concern at the time that the rest of the wall may also collapse. Bit near the junction with Droinwich Road, which is already missing some bricks. The heavy Victorian wall crumbled down onto parked cars at around 8am, damaging a Vauxhall Vectra, a Volkswagen Polo and a Peugeot 107. The large section of masonry was left perched on the bonnet of the Vectra whilst the driver's side windows of the Peugeot and Polo were smashed, leaving broken glass strewn across the streets. The collapsed wall, around five foot high, revealed exposed soil and roots from the garden above the road. The wall's owner warned people not to stand near it in case the other sections also collapsed. She explained a lorry had hit the corner near Droitwich Road, previously that the driver had left the scene. Tony Hardwick, 63, arrived to see the aftermath of the collapse after dropping off his daughter at the pump house where she works. Mr Hardwick said, It must have been a hell of a crash. I was just passing and it looked like a war zone. The whole lot had come down. It's a miracle nobody was hurt. The owner of the house, who did not want to be named, said the wall dated from 1870. She said builders had previously agreed to look at the wall but did not turn up. Neighbours and two officials from Worcestershire County Council arrived with gloves and began stacking the bricks neatly. She added, 
I am grateful to friends and the community for coming to get together to help me. John Fraser, head of Worcestershire County Council, said, It's a private wall in Lavender Road, and the adjacent landowners are taking responsibility for it and burying it off. We are putting a footway closure in place. And for a totally different uh, article, on the entertainment pages for March the 10th, is an article headlined, Elgar Masterpiece Set for Cathedral. And there's a photograph of the Choral Society, our orchestra and soloists, uh, after their, uh, one of their more recent uh, concerts. A long-standing choir will perform one of Sir Edward Elgar's much-loved choral works at Worcester Cathedral. The Dream of Gorontius is returning to Worcester Cathedral on Saturday, March the 18th, performed by Worcester Festival Choral Society. In the 1890s, Worcester Festival Choral Society was often conducted by Elgar. He also premiered two of his choral compositions with the Society and led its then orchestra. The Dream of Gorontius is widely regarded as one of Elgar's most thrilling masterpieces. The music is set, setting a poem by John Henry Newman about a man's soul journeying to the judgment throne led by his guardian angel. In the concert, Worcester Festival Choral Society's 140 voices depict the friends, priests, demons and angels Gerontius encounters along the way. Joining them are internationally acclaimed soloists whose credentials include the Royal Opera House and English Touring Opera, uh, mezzo-soprano Marta Fontenelle's uh, Simmons, playing the, singing the part of the angel, tenor Mark Wilde singing the part of Gerontius, bass baritone Njabulu Madlala singing the part of both the priest and the angel of the agony. Accompanying will be the, Meri the Meridian Symphonia Symphony Orchestra. The conductor is Worcester Cathedral's director of music, Samuel Hudson. Ben Cooper, chairman of the Worcester Festival Choral Society, said, This is a wonderfully exciting yet moving work that's a true experience from start to finish. It's the first time we've performed it in Worcester for 12 years, so not to be missed. Established in 1861, Worcester Festival Choral Society is the region's leading large classical choir, with audition singers drawn from across the region. The Society stages three major performances of the choral greats in Worcester Cathedral every year. There is also a Come and Sing One Day Choral Workshop each spring, which this year gives singers of all kinds the chance to learn Verdi's Requiem. That will take place on April the 22nd. Saturday's concert starts at 7.30. Tickets still available. Prices between £15 and £27 from the Society on www.wfcs.online or by telephone from ticket source 0333 Okay, well, this is something that, that doesn't come up every day or, or not that I've noticed. Um, a Victorian vampire slaying kit containing a wooden stake and holy water is set to fetch thousands at auction. The box, including tools to fight the living dead, originally belonged to a priest living in Woolers Hall in Eckington near Pershaw during the late 1800s. 
The collection comes housed in a custom-made box and includes a crucifix, holy water, Bibles and a wooden stake. The defence kit is expected to sell for between four to six thousand pounds when it goes into the hammer, sorry, hammer at East Bristol auctions on March the twenty-fourth. Auctioneer Andrew Stowe said it was likely kept as a curio than for actual use, but nevertheless goes to illustrate the genuine fear that everyday folk had of the unknown. I guess this kit is the ultimate example of better safe than sorry. The vampire myth was at its peak in the late 19th century, as several famous books, including Bram Stoker's hit Dracula, were published during this period. These works, alongside traditional folklore, provided detailed accounts of how someone could identify and defend themselves from the creatures, including using religious icons, crucifixes, Bibles and garlic. The kit offered for auction also includes a mirror, rosary beads and a small pocket pistol. Andrew added, It's certainly a fascinating piece of history and definitely not something one expects to see all too often. If any vampires should descend upon our sale room, we're well prepared. Woolis Hall, which is four miles outside of Pershaw, was erected by John Hanford and dates back to 1611, while the park it stands on was first recorded in 1577. More information can be found at bid.eastbristol.co.uk. The next article is um, concerned a, a survey to help provide better play areas for the younger generation. Um, it features a, a photograph of four teenagers just sitting on a wall looking at their mobile phones with the caption, a survey asking for help finding space in a bid to tackle Worcester's shortage of play areas, particularly for teenagers, has been reopened after a disappointing response. The headline is Parks Survey Extended. A survey asking for views on where new play areas could be built to help tackle the city's shortage has been extended after a disappointing take-up. Worcester City Council said it had been forced to reopen its consultation asking for views on potential new parks, play areas and outdoor facilities after a lower-than-hoped response from the public. A recent assessment of Worcester's open spaces revealed that at least 10 football pitches worth of space needs to be made into play areas for children just to reach the council's own targets. The council survey, which was available throughout January and February, includes an online interactive map that gives you the chance to comment on the state of existing play areas and make suggestions on improvements or where there is a demand for a new play area. More than 350 people responded to the survey, but the results and the draft play area strategy that the findings will inform will not be discussed by councillors until June. The council said it was also disappointed by the very low appetite among the city's schools to help spread the word about its survey. It has been 12 months since the state of Worcester's play areas was made public by the council. A report which revealed the city is way behind in the number of play areas it should have, particularly for teenagers. Councillors were also told that the City Council did not have any concrete plans on how to address the lack of play areas, particularly for older children, 
and it would need to produce a strategy on potential locations and prices. The same committee agreed to spend £40,000 on the study and appointed specialists Harper Perry to produce the document. An assessment of Worcester's open spaces has shown that at least 10 football pitches worth of space needs to be made into play areas for children in order to reach its own targets. Work carried out as part of the review of the South Worcestershire Development Plan showed there is more than four acres of space set aside for children's play areas for those aged up to 12. With the amount of space set aside for play areas for children up to 17-year-olds significantly poorer and short by nearly 10 acres. There is also disparity between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to play areas, with Batten Hall, St Peter's and the City Centre's Cathedral Ward, which covers most of the city centre, having the most play area space, with the one and a half acres of space in St John's top of the list. The City St Stephen Ward is far behind the rest of the city and currently has no play areas managed by the council. From Wednesday, March 15th, restaurants set to close. A popular Indian restaurant and takeaway in Drinkwich is closing after 11 years of business. Spice Fusion on St Andrew Street announced with a heavy heart its closure after struggling with rising costs and staff shortages. However, the business still wishes to go out with a bang and is asking for as many of its customers to pay it a visit before it closes. A spokesperson for Spice Fusion said, It's with heavy hearts that we must announce the permanent closure of Spice Fusion. For the past 11 and a half years, it has been an absolute joy to serve the community. However, due to the rising costs and staff shortage, we can no longer sustain our business. We cherish the memories we have made and the friendships we have made. We'll miss you all dearly. Our final day of service will be on the 25th of March 2023. We hope to see as many of you as possible before we say goodbye. It has been an absolute honour and a privilege to serve this wonderful community, and we are grateful for the support and loyalty we have received over the years. News of the restaurant's permanent closure has been met with sorrow by its customers, with dozens taking to social media to show their support. One customer said, I'm so devastated for you. You will be missed. Another customer added, Really sorry to hear this. We will miss you. All the best for the future, and thanks for great food, good times and memories. Spice Fusion opened 11 years ago. It has become a staple place within the Drunkwich community. One found customer, one fond, sorry, one found customer of the restaurant said, you have done wonderful things for the community and have become an honorary mona after all these years. I will miss you, my good friend. Another added, it is such a lovely place. Your dedication to the community has been an incredible and you will be missed. We will see you before we go, Spice Fusion said, if customers are planning to visit during the next few weeks to book in advance. The restaurant will close for business on Saturday, March 25th. On page five of Tuesday, March 14, we see a photograph of Bransford Road in St John's with the headline Father Thanks Helpers After Son Hit By Car. The father of a schoolboy who was hit by a car has thanked everyone who stopped and helped his son. The 12-year-old was injured on Bransford Road in St John's, Worcester and was taken to Worcester Royal Hospital. James Venn said his son was thankfully brought back home from the hospital the same day as Friday's accident, which happened on March the 10th. His father thanked neighbours who rushed to the boy's aid as well as paramedics and hospital staff. 
The boy's injuries were not serious, but he was taken to hospital for further assessment. Mr Venn said, He is OK. He has minor injuries and is shaken up. He has got lots of visits and calls from his school friends. Everyone who stopped and helped and paramedics and hospital staff were amazing. One ambulance and two police cars arrived on Bransford Road just after 8am on Friday, March 10th and parked outside Regent Residential Care Home. A person living nearby who did not wish to be named said the ambulance was quick to arrive at the scene, but it's not nice seeing something like that. The residents said the boy, believed to be in year seven, was wrapped in blankets while paramedics looked after him. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said, We were called at 8.17am on Friday to a collision involving a car and a pedestrian on Bransford Road in Worcester. One ambulance attended the scene. Upon arrival, we found a boy who was the pedestrian. He was assessed by ambulance staff and had sustained injuries not believed to be life-threatening. He was conveyed to Worcester Royal Hospital for a further assessment. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police added, At around 8.25am on Friday, March 10th, police responded to a collision involving a car and a 12-year-old boy. Thankfully, the boy was not seriously injured and was taken to the Worcester Royal Hospital to be checked over for minor injuries. Well, I found a bit of a, bit of a nice story here. Um, sweet search for dress. Brides-to-be are flocking to a pop-up boutique in Worcester to find their dream dresses. St Richard's Hospice launched Snowdrop's Bridal at 34 Chapel Walk Crowngate Shopping Centre Worcester in mid-February and have welcomed hundreds of shoppers. The boutique has opened in the former Moda shop and will open Wednesday to Saturday until the end of March. It offers new and pre-loved wedding finery with all funds raised supporting the charity's care for patients and loved ones across Worcestershire. One delighted bride-to-be is Stephanie Whitby, who is marrying her fiancé Daniel Matthews in May next year. The couple are both Worcestershire-born and raised and currently living in Surrey. Stephanie said the experience of the bridal boutique itself was magical. It was professional, yet managed to keep a personal touch. The first dress I tried on was the one, and I came away with it the same day as well as the veil. It was the exact experience I was hoping for finding my wedding dress and made that much sweeter that it all went towards the most amazing cause. I want to thank everyone who helped and made it so special. The couple had added motivation for shopping at Snowdrop's Bridal. St Richard's took care of Dan's dad Pete when he was ill, said Stephanie. The carers were always wonderful and kind and so it has always been a charity close to our hearts. Dan Corn's commercial director at St Richard's said... It's been fantastic to see the reactions from shoppers to the gorgeous selection of new Imprula bridal gowns, accessories, bridesmaids' dresses and guests' outfits available in store, offering everything you need for a stylish and sustainable wedding. None of this would be possible without our amazing community who have gifted their dresses and accessories to us, along with Crowngate Shopping Centre, who provided the shop space so we could raise much-needed funds for our care. We wish Stephanie and Dan and all the other brides who have shopped with us a wonderful and memorable big day. To find out more, visit www.strichards.org.uk forward slash snowdrops dash bridal. 
Well, the next story is, is not about uh, a, a sweet um, sweetness in any way. It concerns drugs, and it features photographs of an, a, an assortment of different drugs and weapons c- seized by the police. Drugs seized, 15 arrested. 15 arrests and thousands of pounds worth of drugs is the result of a week-long crackdown on county line dealers. West Mercia Police seized £90,210 worth of drugs and around 50, arrested around sorry arrested 15 people across South Worcestershire as part of their National Crime Agency's County Lines Intensification Week. On top of the arrests and drugs, police seized £1,810 in cash, four weapons, ten phones and one vehicle, which was also found in South Worcestershire. Officers and staff from across the force carried out the week-long crackdown, which ended last Sunday. County Line's drug dealers often exploit children and young and vulnerable people to run drugs and cash between urban and county locations and to deal drugs on their behalf. Once recruited into county lines, it can be difficult for those being exploited to leave, with fear and threats of violence used to keep them in place. Around four safeguarding referrals were made during this week and 31 cuckooing visits to properties where vulnerable adults live and are at risk of being exploited by dealers. A week-long crackdown took place across West Mercia's force area and altogether officers found £280,000 worth of drugs and a total 60 arrests. Detective Chief Inspector Oliver Yules said, Serious and organised crime and county lines drug dealing remains a priority for West Mercia Police. We will work tirelessly to make sure our communities are unwelcoming for criminals travelling across our policing borders. We will continue to prioritise the pursuit and prosecution of those who bring drugs into our counties, commit violence and exploit vulnerable members of our communities. But education and early intervention is just as important in preventing exploitation and protecting our communities from County Line's drug dealers and gangs. During County Line's intensification week, officers and staff across the force visited schools, social care providers, health professionals and community venues to raise awareness of the County Line's model and to highlight the signs that someone may be involved or at risk of being exploited by drug dealers and gangs. It is vital to remember that operations such as these during this National Week of Intensification are very much business as usual for all our staff and highlight the great and often dangerous work they do throughout the year. On uh, Friday, last Friday, there was a very nice sort of story here about the wonderful talent that exists within Worcester. Triple honour as City Society up for three awards. Worcester Operatic and Dramatic Society, known as WADS, is celebrating a triple honour. All three of their shows staged in 2022 
have been nominated for regional awards. A spokesman said, We are very proud to announce that all three of the Society's 2022 productions have been nominated for National Operatic and Dramatic Association Regional Awards. Our production of Kipps, the new half a sixpence musical, which was performed in April 22, pictured uh, in the little photograph in the corner of the page, uh, has been nominated for Best Musical Production. Our youth group, What Is, production of Shrek the Musical, August uh, of last year, has been nominated for Best Youth Musical Production. Finally, our production of Our House, The Madness Musical, which was performed in October 22, has been nominated for a special award for choreography. The award ceremony will be on May the 14th, so we have to wait a little a while to see if we have been successful. However, these nominations are a recognition of the really hard work that all our teams have put into getting shows back on the stage after the two-year break caused by COVID. WADS will present The Sound of Music from April the 18th to April the 22nd and The Wedding Singer from October the 17th to October the 21st while Waddies are presenting Carousel from August the 1st to August the 5th. Tickets are available from Huntingdon Hall box office on 01905 611 or online. OK, um, I've only got three letters, um, so I'm going to read these now. So the first one is from um, Louise Hardiman from RGS Springfield. In a special assembly this week, pupils from RGS Springfield proudly presented a cheque to the Grace Kelly Charitable Cancer Trust for £3,000, following extraordinary fundraising efforts by the school's parents' association. The RGS Springfield Parents' Association held a fundraising charity ball which raised an incredible £3,000 for the Grace Kelly Charitable Cancer Trust. The funds raised will help the Trust's work which includes finding research, educating people about childhood cancer and providing financial, practical and emotional support to local families. In the presentation assembly, Coralie Hudson from the Grace Kelly Charitable Cancer Trust spoke to pupils about the story behind the charity and the important work that the charity does to support local families before the pupils and Mrs Laura Brown, headmistress of RGS Springfield, presented the cheque. At RGS Springfield, we are always delighted to work with charities to help our pupils understand the difference that fundraising and charity events can make to the lives of others or supporting those who may need help. Our school council helped choose the charities with the model of one local, one national and one international. We have worked with Grace Kelly Charitable Cancer Trust before and are delighted to support them again. RGS Springfield was grateful for the opportunity to contribute to this worthy cause and is proud of the efforts of its parents' association and the generosity of its community. The donation is part of the school's commitment to foster a culture of social responsibility among its pupils and parents. Okay, the next letter is from a Mr Sayers of Ronxwood Hill. In brackets, 57 years of waiting for another road bridge to ease the problem. Dear Editor, with reference to the closure of yet another high street store in Worcester, 
Flying Tiger, I looked forward to going into town on the weekend when all the big retail names had stores. Where may they have all gone, you may ask? It's simple to answer. The business people behind these stores have to make decisions just like the retail customers who use them. The sad fact is that I don't venture into Worcester much on weekends anymore. I would rather go where the infrastructure is better matched for customer satisfaction. If you ever go to Gloucester Keys, you will see that all the big retailers are still alive and thriving. My point is, if you don't invest in the infrastructure, you eventually lose all the good businesses and customers will go elsewhere too. A vicious circle and this is where we are at in Worcester unfortunately. Get the road network sorted out for easy access to attract everyone back to the faithful city. And the final letter is from John Reynolds of St John's in Worcester. Dear Editor, I read in the Tuesday, March 9th edition of the Worcester News that the City Council is looking into spending £100,000 of taxpayers' money on a study into the future of the Aswood Road crematorium. I cannot believe that it is going to cost £100,000 to essentially make a decision. Obviously, something must be sorted regarding the future of the site, but can someone please show the good people of Worcester a breakdown of the costing to this project? The next article is from today's paper, Thursday, March the 16th, and the headline is Budget Help for Centres. Some of the city's struggling leisure centres are to receive a cash boost from the government to help cover the cost of eye-watering energy bills. Tory Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has promised £40 million in the 2023 budget to help the country's leisure centres cut their energy costs, with half of the money set to be available to help pay gas and electric bills. The pot of money, which will be managed by Sport England, will allow councils to apply for funding for leisure centres with pools such as Perdiswell Leisure Centre in Worcester, to help cover running costs and bills. The chief executive of Freedom Leisure, which runs Perdiswell, as well as St John's Sports Centre and Nunnery Wood Sports Complex, on behalf of Worcester City Council, welcomed the money, but said the move was very much the first step in paying the not-for-profit trust's eye-watering bills. Freedom Leisure Chief Executive Ivan Horsfall-Turner said, We will continue to work with our industry and local authority partners to put swimming pools on a more sustainable and long-term footing. We have, compa- we have campaigned hard recently with other industry bodies for this extra funding and are pleased that the government has finally taken notice and recognised the challenging situation felt by this sector and the value of leisure centres and swimming pools to local communities. At the start of the year, Mr Horsfall Turner warned that some facilities could be forced to close if ministers did not reverse the decision to exclude leisure centre operators from government support to pay rocketing energy bills, saying he was extremely disappointed and frustrated by the snub. Worcester City Council agreed to increase prices by an average of 9% from April to boost funds, following a request from Freedom Leisure, as well as hand over £550,000 for energy efficiency work 
and £315,000 to help Freedom Leisure pay its energy bills in the next 12 months. The Council also agreed to cut opening hours at the leisure centres in St John's and Nunnery Wood to cut costs. Last year, Worcester City Council agreed to hand over up to £255,000 of taxpayers' money to Freedom Leisure to help cover the soaring cost of gas and electricity. The deal was sealed despite criticism from councillors who labelled the outsourced contract with Freedom Leisure as a money pit and called for a serious review into future agreements. This is a timely brief article uh, uh, emphasising needs following the shutdown because of COVID. New partnership for prostate cancer testing is the headline. Worcestershire ambassadors offered 176 men from across the county the opportunity for a PSA test. Working in partnership with the Graham Fulford Charitable Trust and led by Ambassador Director Philip Dutton, four of the charity's phlebotomists took small blood samples from each man to be sent for assessment using the established PSA procedures. All test results will be sent confidentially to each individual within days. It has been nearly five years since we were last able to organise and offer such testing availability, said Phil. This new partnership with GFCT should enable the ambassadors to ensure regular opportunities for men across the country. It is a mark of the importance of testing to have 176 men register, make a donation to the charity and come to Worcester Golf and Country Club. I am grateful that the club provided their facilities free of charge. I would also like to thank Tracy Hopkins who led the registration exercise and together with my wife Carol organised the arrivals on the evening. The ambassadors used their existing membership, previous attendees and social media to highlight this testing opportunity. They also welcomed back members of the Nunnery Wood Veterans Football Club, led by Glyn Harding to, be champion, to champion the cause. In the years leading up to the pandemic, the ambassadors helped organise thousands of tests, both within and outside the country, at the county. On a personal level, may I add, from family experience, gentlemen, go and get tested. Indeed. A charity that helps adults with acquired brain injuries has launched a repair shop inspired by a popular television show. The Headway Repair Shop by Headway Worcestershire is now open at their Worcester Day Centre. Inspired by the hit BBC One show called The Repair Shop, the local team and their clients have set up their own shop and are asking for your support. Clients of the local charity are repairing and revamping old furniture, giving them a new lease of life. Headway Worcestershire's Chief Executive, Mandy Fitzgerald, said, Our clients have worked incredibly hard to clean, sand, prime and paint various items found in the day centre. The results speak for themselves. Mandy and the team are now sending a shout-out to the local community to ask for any unwanted small wooden items that the clients can upcycle. Mandy continued, Since the project began, the woodwork workshop at Headway Worcestershire's Worcester Day Centre has been bustling with energy and everyone involved would love that to continue. If you can help us, we'd really appreciate it. 
Donations can be made directly to the head office at the Headway Repair Shop, the mill, Gregory Mill Street, Worcester WR3 8BA, or please go to www.headwayworcestershire.org.uk to find out more about the charity. The next headline is Wi-Fi instead of parking. And there is a photograph of a lady pointing to a large, what looks like a telegraph pole in the middle of a grassy area in Amberley Close, Worcester. A pole for wireless broadband has been put up where fed-up residents wanted a new car park. The large pole has been put up on a patch of grass in Amberley Close in Worcester. Residents wanted the land to be tarmacked over in order to provide extra parking. But the pole may not be fatal to the plan, says Warnden's councillor. A petition, was, a petition was handed into Worcestershire County Council six months ago calling for action to, stop, to solve the nightmare shortage of parking. Councillor Jill Desiree says the pole will deprive residents of at least one parking space if the scheme ever gets off the ground. Another of the concerns she raised was that ambulances and other emergency vehicles, including police and fire engines, may not be able to get through because of all the double-parked cars. A hatched space for emergency vehicles was one of the suggestions, so access will be improved should the worst happen. It is understood the poll was put in place on October the 24th last year. The Warnton Labour councillor said... Six months ago, the request was made, supported by a popular petition of residents in the street, for the creation of additional parking bays in Amberley Close. A 30-day re response is, plump, is promised on the county website. This period has elapsed several times over, with multiple ex escalations, but there has been no answer so far. Strangely, some assurance could be gained from this, other requests of mine, for example, to have a 20 mile per hour speed limit applied to in Tetbury Drive, Warnden, have received a no very quickly. Meanwhile, matters were complicated when, without any warning to residents or local councillors, City Fibre installed a large pole in one corner of the plot. It's an unhelpful development, but hopefully, hopefully it's not fatal to the plan. Support for the additional parking is confirmed each time I have another of my frequent conversations with the local county councillor, though he has not yet secured action from highways. So, hope remains that this important and necessary improvement to parking issues in Amberley Close will yet be delivered. Neil Wright, area manager for City Fibre in Worcester, said they were sorry to learn of the concerns. Our team use a range of build techniques to construct our full fibre networks and this can vary due to the unique environment of each street. He added they do all they can to inform people of work on investing £21 million in a city-wide full fibre network. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council said they are working with the County Councillor to look at any viable options for parking. And this headline caught my eye. I had to include it. Underneath a photograph of Eric Bowden with his 
wonderful Easter egg that is the headline, UK's oldest Easter egg, question mark. A grandfather and his family believe they have the country's oldest Easter egg. Eric Bowden was given the egg on his first birthday, and staggeringly, 92 years later, the unopened chocolate egg has survived intact. The family are also wondering about what to do with the egg in the future, and whether it could one day go on display to the public. Eric's son, Stephen Bowden, said... The egg was given to him on his first birthday by his uncle Harvey, who was a serving officer in the First World War. Eric's mum maybe took it away from him, thinking he he could have it when he's older. It was stored away, and for some reason, he never got round to eating it. I'm not sure where Eric's mum and dad put it in the early days. I think it was forgotten about. It became a bit of a joke later on. It was kept in a cool, dark place, and that's where it stayed. The Easter egg is wrapped with a red bow in the original box, being kept by Eric at his home in Evesham. A few years ago, Nestle said they would not advise anyone to eat it now, Stephen said. The family are now pondering what to do with it in the future. I'd like to think it could go somewhere, be treasured and looked after, Stephen said. We'd hate for it to get broken. I got in touch with Nestle. They didn't seem interested. I don't know if a chocolate museum could take it on. Rather than having it in a cupboard, it would be nice for it to go on display somewhere. Stephen said he he once contacted the Guinness Book of Records to confirm it is the oldest, but was told they don't keep a record, only having one for the largest Easter egg. I've done some research and seen Easter eggs online claiming to be the oldest, but they are only around 70 years old, he said. Obviously, this is 92. The egg has appeared in the paper before, appearing in 1976, when Eric's mother Florence was pictured with it. And in 1996, Eric was pictured with the egg in the Worcester Evening News. It fascinates me that people have chocolate in the house and and don't eat it. (laughs) Now, interestingly, uh, my next story is one in 20 are in poor health, figures show. One in 20 Worcester residents said they were in poor health when asked in the 2021 census, new figures show. The data shows wide disparities in health across England and Wales, with some areas having over three times more people in bad health than others. Health think tank the Nuffield Trust said the postcode lottery of health tracks socio-economic deprivation and called on the government to address disparities in healthcare, provision and overall health guidance. Office for National Statistics figures show 5% of residents in Worcester said they were in bad or very bad general health in the 2021 census. Nationally, 5.4% of people responded to the census saying they were in bad or very bad health. This rose to 5.9% in the West Midlands. The Nuffield Trust said people living in certain areas fare much worse than others and that the improvement in health across the country has not been enjoyed uniformly. Sally Gainsbury, Senior Fellow at the Think Tank, highlighted the impact socio-economic factors had on people's health. She said, the role of socio-economic inequalities was often overlooked in health inequalities policy in the decade up until the pandemic. 
NHS England needs to follow through with their new focus on economic deprivation, as well as other, often related, drivers of health inequalities such as racial discrimination and social exclusion. We look forward to the government giving these issues the attention they deserve in the long-delayed white paper on health inequalities. There were also regional disparities in the number of unpaid carers across the country, the figures show. In London and the South East, 4% of the population said they provided at least 20 hours of unpaid care per week. At the other end of the scale, this figure rose to 5.8% in Wales. In Worcester, 4.2% of the population said they provided high levels of unpaid care. The data also shows 7% of Worcester residents were classed as disabled in 2021. By the ONS ranking of health levels, which takes into account poor health, disability and unpaid care, Worcester ranks 142nd of England and Wales 331 local authority areas. The Department for Health and Social Care said the gap in the number of years people live in good health is stark and unacceptable. A spokesman added, We recently announced a major condition strategy to address regional disparities in health outcomes, supporting the levelling up mission to narrow the gap in healthy life expectancy in 2030. There is already work ongoing across the North East, with the Local Integrated Care Board investigating £39 million, sorry, investing £39 million over the next three years to prevent ill health and address health disparities. My next article is about the Golden Lion statue, which used to be on the wall above the Golden Lion pub in the High Street, Worcester. Historic statue is back. The historic statue has been returned to its rightful place thanks to a campaign by members of a Facebook group and city historians. The Golden Lion is a century-old wooden statue and could be found sitting on the wall of Costa Coffee on the High Street in Worcester before it was damaged by a storm in 2019. Since then, the statue, which is a reminder of the building's previous life as the Golden Lion pub, has gone missing. Bob Blanford, aged 75, and members of his Facebook group, Worcester Secrets, started a campaign almost three years ago in order for the statue to be fixed or replaced on the wall. And now the Golden Lion has reappeared in its rightful place this week. Author Mr Blanford said... It is good news. The actual lion is about 100 years old, but it fell down almost four years ago. His head was totally smashed and there didn't seem to be any action and nobody seemed to be interested. Mr Blanford believed the damage could have been due to how old the statue is. Over the past few years, Mr Blanford has been using social media to raise awareness about the issue. He said... It's a good thing and it also goes to show the power of Facebook and social media and also shows how much people care about the city's heritage. It was an old Worcester pub and it was an integral part of the street scene back then. Although it is unclear if the entire lion has been recarved or if it was just the head that has been reconstructed. The Facebook page has just under 7,000 followers and social media users were very pleased to hear the statue has been reinstated. One said, It's about time it was back. My dad was 
born in the lion in 1929. He'll rest easy now. Another person said, Now that is fabulous news, right back where it belongs. A third added, I'm over the moon, hope he's secure. It's believed that the Golden Lion, located in the High Street opposite the Guildhall, existed as a pub from at least the 16th century. The Grade II listed building was once a medieval merchant's house, believed to have been built in the late 14th or early 15th century. The lion was previously removed back in 2010 for restoration after falling into, into a state of disrepair. Before that, it had last been restored in 1990. Thinking ahead to uh, this weekend and Sunday being Mothering Sunday, there's a lovely article here entitled Remembering Mum. Elgar's birthplace will be celebrating Mother's Day by remembering the composer's own mother. The Furs in Lower Broadheath will be featuring photographs of Anne Elgar, examples of her poetry and other special features of her life. There will also be a 30-minute talk from Elgar expert Richard Westbrook, Westwood Brooks. She was a quite remarkable woman a great mother of five children and a key to Elgar's own success, said Ellen Cooper, the National Trust's site manager at the Furs. When he had a crisis in his life, trying to deal with the newfound fame he had always craved but which frightened him when he arrived, it was to his mother that he turned. It is said that he went to her, knelt down and placed his head on her lap, saying, Mother, I can't do this. Please tell me what I should do. Anne placed her hand on his head and said, You must go on, Edward. It is your destiny. The rest, as they say, is history. But it is a remarkable example of the remarkable woman we are celebrating on Mother's Day at the Furs. Elgar was born at the Furs, the only one of the children of the family to be born here because Anne wanted her family to grow up in the peace and quiet of the countryside. She was the daughter of a farmer from the Forest of Dean and was self-educated. She wrote poetry and short stories and filled her home with books, giving her children a solid background in learning and a love of nature, the countryside and of literature. Elgar's elder sister Lucy said of her mother, she had that sweet, pious simplicity that makes a woman charming in good fortune and patient and strong in the days of calamity. Mother's Day events at the Furs take place this Sunday, March the 19th, at the National Trust property, and tickets start at £9.50 for adults and £4.75 for children over five. There is, of course, free entry for National Trust members. It's business as usual for a popular music cafe in the heart of Worcester, which is housed in a building going under the hammer. 61 to 61A Sidbury Houses, the popular Paradiddles music cafe bar on the ground floor, with the two-storey maisonette above, and has gone on the market. It will have a guide price of £275,000, plus with the live-streamed Bonwolf auction taking place on Thursday, March the 30th, a spokesman for Paradiddles stressed it would be continuing. 
James Matty, Managing Director Agency at Bond Wolf, said this is a three-storey mid-parade property that currently generates £29,760 per year in rental income. It commands a prominent position on Sidbury, one of the main roads passing through Worcester's city centre. Worcester is a cathedral and university city and it boasts an array of historic architecture and offers a vibrant blend of independent shops, bars and restaurants. The next article is uh, carries the headline Youths Knock Doors. Youths knocking doors and running away in Worcester have been given warnings by the police. The Battenhall and Nunnery Safe and Neighbourhood Policing Team have taken action against three youths following the antisocial behaviour in St Peter's. The youths were identified and spoken to by police alongside their parents and given an antisocial behaviour warning. Knocking on doors and running away is commonly referred to as knock-door-run, ding-dong-ditch or cherry-knocking, depending on regional phrases. PC Stephen Chance said, We are working hard to tackle antisocial behaviour in St Peter's. Antisocial behaviour covers a wide range of unacceptable activity that causes harm to an individual, to their community or to their environment. This could be an action by someone else that leaves you feeling alarmed, harassed or distressed. It also includes fear of crime or concern for public safety, public disorder or public nuisance. Councillor Steve Cochram, St Peter's Parish City Councillor, said antisocial behaviour is not a common theme in St Peter's. He said, this is certainly news to me. It is certainly not something I have ever experienced as a regular incident in our ward. According to the police, examples of antisocial behaviour include nuisance, rowdy or inconsiderate neighbours, vandalism, graffiti and fly-posting, street drinking, environmental damage including littering, dumping of rubbish and abandonment of cars, prostitution-related activity, begging and vagrancy, firework misuse and inconsiderate or inappropriate use of vehicles. PC Chance added, If you are experiencing problems with antisocial behaviour or have any concerns about it or other community safety issues, you should contact your local council or report this to us online. In an emergency, if you or your property are at risk or a crime is in progress, call 999. The police Local authorities and other community safety partner agencies, such as Fire and Rescue and social housing landlords, all have a responsibility to deal with antisocial behaviour and to help people who are suffering from it. If you have information in relation to antisocial behaviour, you can let the police know by using the online Tell Us About form on the West Mercia Police website at www.westmercia.org police.uk or contact Crime Stoppers by calling 0800 555 or by visiting www.crimestoppers-uk.org And another illustration of the marvellous talent that exists in Worcester. We, on Thursday, March 16th, we have a headline which says Clear Success for Crafts Duo. 
underneath a photograph of a young lady with, with her dog. A schoolgirl from Worcester and her talented terrier shone at an international dog show, scoring perfect rounds. Violet Higgins and her dog Chase showed composure beyond her tender years at the competition at the NEC Birmingham. The 11-year-old Nunnery Wood High School pupil of Whittington near Worcester qualified for Crufts to 2023 last April for the Young Kennel Club Agility Dog of the Year. Violet qualified for both the semi-finals of the Agility Dog of the Year and the under-18 jumping classes with the six-year-old Terrier. Her mum, Kirsty Higgins, said, The Agility Dog of the Year had a semi-final which was held at the YKC ring at Crufts. The top three combinations in each dog height, small, medium, intermediate and large, and children's age category, 6 to 11 or 12 to 18, progressed to the grand final held in Main Arena at Crufts. This is an open competition where all the finalists compete against each other to be crowned Agility Dog of the Year. Violet smashed two perfect clear rounds, but we had a nervous wait to see if that was enough to qualify her for the grand final. At 1pm, all the juniors were called into the YKC arena to be told the results. Violet and Chase had won both their small height, 6-11-year-old classes, qualifying them in style for the grand final. The grand final was held in the main arena at Crufts and watched by over 8,000 spectators and was broadcast live on YouTube. Violet and Chase were last to run in the small height category and pulled out an amazing fast clear round with the commentators stating, Remember the name Violet Higgins as she sailed into the lead. We then had a nervous wait to see if Violet would stay in the lead. Violet ended up coming fifth overall out of 25 combinations and was only beaten by larger dogs. Violet and Chase are due to compete for the Team England at the World Agility Open competition being held in the Netherlands this May. Violet, the youngest member of Worcester Agility Club, qualified for the international competition at Team England tryouts against adults last summer. The duo train twice a week and are sponsored by Reef Agility, run by Marion Bayliss in Starport. Because dog agility is not classed as a sport, it receives no funding, so sponsors are being sought and a number of fundraising activities are planned to support Violet and the team. Donations can be made at https colon backslash sorry forward slash forward slash gofundme.me forward slash two one nine six lowercase a eight lowercase e lowercase b one of Worcester's most popular charity workers Maggie Pierce has died she was well known as an energetic and inspirational volunteer in the community, especially for her willingness to engage with and revitalise charities. Mrs Pierce was three times president of the Inner Wheel Club of Worcester Seven, county president of Worcestershire Federation of Young Farmers, for many years chair of the local arthritis research campaign and was heavily involved in the Women's Institute and Flower Guild.
She was also a creative florist and arranged flowers in St George's Military Chapel in Worcester Cathedral, as well as supporting the church in White Ladies Aston and St Leonard's Church in Brighton Hackett, the village where she lived with husband Jerry. Born Margaret Burgoyne in 1945 in Tiverton, Devon, Maggie became a keen hockey player while attending Secretarial College. She married Jerry Pierce in 1968 and was happily married for more than 40 years until his death in 2016. Her husband's work with Lloyds Bank took Maggie to Norfolk, Cambridge and New York where she worked as a PA. She moved to Worcester in 1988, supporting her husband in his role as area director. Renowned for her hospitality, Maggie's many dinner parties were also known for their warmth and generosity. She enjoyed many long-standing friendships and her friends were with her in the last weeks of her illness and when she died. There will be a Thanksgiving service for the life of Maggie Pierce on Wednesday, April the 5th in Pershaw Abbey at 12 noon. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our reading for the Worcester News this week. So a big thank you to Annabelle, Penny and Richard for reading with me. And thank you to Alex for everything that he does in computer and recording and making sure that we sound as good as we do. Okay, so hope you enjoyed this edition and uh, goodbye. Goodbye. George Conway passed away peacefully on 15th of February 2023, aged 88. Dearly missed by wife Barbara and his loving family and friends. Funeral service at Sacred Heart Church, Droitwich, 11.30 on Monday, 20th of March, and burial at St Mary's Churchyard. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to Epilepsy Research Limited. Enid Mary Daniels of Pershaw passed away peacefully on February the 28th, 2023, aged 94 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, March the 20th at 3.15pm. No flowers by request. Donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity and Acorns Children's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Andrew Shelton, Kappa, passed away peacefully on March the 3rd, 2023, aged 75. He will be sadly missed by all his family and friends. A funeral service will take place at the Church of St James, Bishampton, on Wednesday, March 29th at 2pm, followed by a private cremation service. Family flowers only. Donations in Andy's memory are invited for Cancer Research UK. These may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10-1HZ. Remember, James Mann, known as Jim, died aged 92. Devoted husband to Beryl and a loving father, grandfather and great-grandfather. He will be sadly missed by all his family and friends. 
The funeral has already taken place, but donations in Jim's name can be sent to Worcester Acute Hospital's charity. Michael Stanley Burbeck, known as Ikey, died with his wife and children by his side on Monday the 30th of January 2023. He loved and was loved by Jean, Mark, Dawn, Vera, Irene, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The funeral service will take place on Tuesday the 21st of March at 12.15 at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, donations for guide dogs for the blind can be left at the service or via the AV band online notice. Margaret Joyce Pierce, known as Maggie, formerly Maggie Burgoyne, passed away unexpectedly but peacefully following a short illness. Her funeral service will be held at Pershaw Abbey on Wednesday the 5th of April 2023 at 12 noon. No flowers, but donations for St Richard's Hospice, Worcester. These may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Penelope Jane Hunt, or Penny, died peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on the 27th of February, aged 65. The funeral service will be held on Monday the 3rd of April at 12.15 at Worcester Crematorium, followed by a private burial. Floral tributes or donations to the Guide Dogs for the Blind Association, please. Alan Ismay Laidler passed away on February the 11th, aged 78 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 23rd at 10.45. Family flowers only, please. Donations if desired for Parkinson's UK. Diane Margaret Simons of Kidderminster passed away peacefully at home on the 5th of March, aged 75 years after a long illness. Funeral service at Wire Forest Crematorium at 3.30pm on Monday the 3rd of April. Family players, flowers only please, donations for Dementia UK.